Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. I'm Jenna Million. And this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. And before we start, we do have a really exciting announcement for you guys. We have updated our Patreon community so that we can get y'all more involved. So now at the $2 level, you have access to not only our Discord server, but also monthly Zoom parties, which are very similar to the Instagram lives we do. So we'll be talking about that month's episodes and other things that have gone on in music news that you guys are interested in getting your takes on. But the difference between Instagram lives we do and the Zoom parties is that rather than it just being me and Jenna speaking most of the time we want to get you guys involved we want to have conversations we want this to feel like a chill hangout with your friends and then for the five dollar level we are adding bonus mini soda these will be 15 to 20 minute long episodes where we're talking about this month's music news with a feminist take and these episodes will come out at least twice a month but if things are really kicking off in music news then you can expect to have them every week and we think you guys are really gonna love these episodes and as always we do have our ten dollar level which includes a longer bonus episode every month. These are very similar to our normal podcast episodes, but they're more light and breezy topics than we talk on the podcast. Episode topics for this include talking about the difference between MySpace and Tumblr bands, the Avril Lavigne clone conspiracy theory, as well as more recently, we discussed the claims of Olivia Rodrigo stealing her image from both Courtney Love and a more indie band called Pom Pom Squad, as well as talking about other artists who have had their album artwork or their branding stolen by bigger artists. So if any of that piques your interest, you can go check out more details on patreon.com slash name3songs and we cannot wait to see you there. So Sarah, what are we talking about today? Today we are traversing into the world of rock music history, specifically how women in rock has been viewed as a genre of rock music rather than just, oh, that band has a female who sings in it. Instead, it's, oh, this is in a separate section of the record store. And how we won't stand for that anymore, even though the world still likes to view rock music like that. This has always been a boys club and no matter what people are trying to convince us of, I don't think that that's changing. You know what's kind of crazy actually is when we were doing research for this, how many times it was brought up in interviews of, oh, do you, how do you feel about making music for women versus making music for men? And I was like, what? I was like, I can't believe this is an actual question that has been asked because I literally, that has never, ever, ever crossed my mind. But this just goes to show how much diversity there is within the rock umbrella because you have metal on the one side, which is very much dominated by men 
men, which probably gives you the mindset of if a woman is singing this, she's just making this music for women and this music isn't for men. Because like on the indie rock side where I come from, that has never crossed my mind. Literally never. I mean, that's the other thing that is shocking and that we're going to talk more about is like that viewpoint that this isn't a genre for women and when women are doing it there's this huge barrier to get into it and then once they're into it it's like oh but do you really belong here what's it like being a woman in rock is it hard is it easy do you feel like you need to change the way you write music or the mindset you're in because you're a woman and how do you relate to rock music fans and it's like what history books are you reading what documentaries are you watching that there are not women in that crowd where there are not women who care like there have always been women who cared and they've always been diminished to like fangirls and groupies and it's like women can love music like I don't understand how this became a man's thing and that's a lot of what we're talking about today and we also because while we do love rock music we're not the history buffs that we sometimes try and convince y'all we are so we decided to bring on some lovely guests from a podcast that we really enjoy so Jenna would you like to introduce our lovely listeners to our expert guests today yeah so today we're talking to she will rock you which is a podcast with leah jones and bethan tarpley two millennial women telling the stories of bands that were famous before they were born badass women in the music industry and interview new acts that you need to know and i would just say as fellow podcast hosts it was really cool to have this conversation with them and think about the way that you know we are reporting on women and we are interviewing women because i think this is a really great discussion to have we're so excited to be joined by them today leah and beth ann thank you guys for joining us today thanks, thanks thank for you. having us why don't you each say your name and like a fun fact about your favorite rock band so our listeners can get acquainted with your voices. I'm Leah. My favorite rock band is actually not in the era that we normally cover. It's the Struts. I've seen them five times and I'm going to see them five more times in the fall. Incredible. <laughs> I love that for you. My name is Beth Ann. My current favorite band because I don't necessarily have like a favorite band. It's more like who I'm currently listening to the most. And that's Spirit Box. Fun fact about them is they're from a previous band called I Wrestled a Bear Once. So they're the remnants of that band. And they're a completely different sound now than that scene. But yeah, for all the Warped Tour peeps out there, you might remember I Wrestled a Bear Once. So since we do have you guys here today and you guys are the rock and roll experts that we wish that we were, is that we are talking today about the way that women have been treated in rock music. Because as all of our lovely listeners know, we love to yell about sexism in music. And so I feel like focusing on women in rock and the fact that quote unquote women in rock is even a genre of music as decided by probably some man at Billboard like 70 years ago is not it because as a woman in music it's really fucking annoying when you know you've been hired just because you are a woman in music not because you're the best out of everybody but because you're the best out of women which just doesn't feel as good like I want to beat the men too and so before we get into why this genre exists and just the conversation around that I thought it'd be good since you guys do know so much about rock history if you guys can fill us in a bit about how the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame has treated women throughout time. <laughs> not well would be the answer. <laughs> like not well at all. It's been a point of contention in the rock sphere for a very long time. Even this year when they announced the nominees everyone's like where are the women? Because they have this really stupid rule which I, I get it but I also don't get it. So the Rock Hall has existed for 34 years. And in that 34 years, 
there's been only 69 women out of 888 people. And this is because when you have a female-fronted band and that person is nominated who is leading the band, the rest of her band gets in as well, whether they were really nominated in the era that they were nominated for or not. And so this has like created a super skewed rock hall class. Like for instance, we know that rock and roll was started by Sister Rosetta Tharp, a black queer woman, and she was only inducted in 2018, and that was under the special category of early influence, so she's not even like a true inductee. Whereas all her, not protégés, but people she influenced were inducted in like the first 50. So like Jeff Beck, Eric Clapton, Keith Richards, all these people that she inspired, all the rock people we love today, got in way before she even got in. I mean, I think this is case in point of the whole issue we're talking about today is the female fronted quote unquote genre because we see this specifically in rock music of if there's a woman in the band it's usually the singer so we call it female fronted I mean occasionally you have women in other positions but it's like seeing a unicorn in the wild right it's like a rarity (laughs) and it's almost been made to be a rarity because women aren't given an equal chance really and so I mean especially as of recently this has become an issue that lots of musicians have spoken about they're very frustrated being asked about what's it like to be a woman in music and all these things and there's some interesting op-eds that we came across so I'm gonna get it a little bit into these from one of our favorite publications The Guardian in 2012 Charlotte Richard wrote an article titled when it comes to rock women are not a gender and Charlotte writes when virtuoso female guitarists appear on the rock radar they tend to gain the spotlight in the lulls between dominant male-centric scenes like Britpop grunge glam rock celebrated in isolation as brief intermittent flashes of brilliance that flare up between the wider collective scenes. When these women are innovative enough to operate successfully outside of zeitgeist and gain an audience without the legitimacy and safety of a wider scene, they are seen as ancillary to rock's larger holistic pantheon. They are rounded up for women in rock trend pieces where gender is genre and a rock press narrative that creates separate and implicitly lesser form of rock. So case in point here is that it's like women are just filling in the spaces between the next big male rock icon that's how they're talked about and how they're treated it's just and we said this already but the fact that rock and roll was built on the backs of african-american women who while at the time they weren't creating music that sounds like what we know and love as rock music today they were placing those building blocks and while there are so many artists in rock who were unwilling to acknowledge that or like oh we worked hand in hand like there's so much drama in the elvis camp or around whether or not he stole his style and everything about his work from black musicians because Elvis fans so much so want to believe that he was a good man when he probably wasn't. And for every black woman you read about who was creating this incredible music, there's a white woman who was copying her and stealing her work. And then white men who were doing the exact same and getting even more popular for it. And just the fact that women created this and we're at this point in time where we're so aware that women created this and we still have this issue where the idea of a woman in music is viewed as a genre. I keep thinking of 
a quote from an interview with actually Courtney LaPlante with Finn McKenty, who does punk rock NBA. And she even gets tired because she's in the metal world. She gets tired of people saying, all right, my favorite female screamer, my favorite female singer is so-and-so. When in reality, she just wants to be normalized and be like, wow, Courtney LaPlante's my favorite singer or my favorite screamer. And that's it. End of conversation. And it is hard because me and Leah, we really love talking to women in the industry, but we just want to just hear about their experience and who they are and what they're trying to contribute, not, oh, you're a woman in the industry. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, we have to start making the conversation and I'm speaking to myself as well, like making it more complex, making it about the music. That's the whole purpose. It's not that you're just a woman in the industry. Who are you as an artist? And just shifting the conversation that direction. And like, you also run into this issue and this was acknowledged in this Flavor Wire article written by this woman called Jillian Maps in 2015 about how whenever a woman's on the cover of a music magazine, it all of a sudden becomes like the girl issue or the women in rock issue. And she specifically acknowledges how in 1997, Fiona Apple landed on the cover of Spin, but it was automatically dubbed the quote unquote, the girl issue. And then in the same year, Rolling Stone quote, wrangled together Courtney Love, Madonna and Tina Turner for one of the women of rock issues. And so you constantly run into this thing where it's like women making music, especially rock music, all of a sudden become a listicle. It can't just be that one of them is allowed to shine. They all have to shine together. And it's just interesting when you think about it, because also in more recent times, it's been so hard for women to coexist with other women being successful in rock, where you run into like the Paramore issue where any woman in pop punk that was making pop punk after the success of Paramore was automatically compared to Haley Williams. And it's like, why... Why do women always have to be a BuzzFeed list? Why can't they just exist and be successful in their own right and not have to be always compared to each other? Spotify and other streaming services are not helping the issue because they're constantly curating their Fierce Femmes playlist or the Hot Women in Rock playlist. And I'm like, just put them on the other playlist. Well, that's a perfect example because I feel like this is kind of like a layered conversation here because I think it's annoying for women to be like relegated to these lists but also it's kind of like when you have like it's international women's day like let's celebrate women it's like cool yeah we can do that we can put them on a list together but also celebrate them at other times during the year like don't just save them for that one thing so i guess in general kind of like the women in rock listicles it's like that's cool but also are you still talking about those people other times during the year when they're not on a list with the other women in the genre well also when you have those lists it always is like the same 10 to 20 people and even if it is like up and coming it's always the same up and coming people it's never people that have less than like 10,000 followers on Instagram and the barrier for women to get into rock music is so much taller than it is for men and I mean that's the case in everything with women other than pop music but even in that degree like when I really think about it when I'm like oh so many women are doing so many cool things in music when you think of like top 40 or the people who are played on the radio the list really isn't as long as I think it is when I try and write it down with a timer you know like I can't think of more than probably 10 or 15 women and so we just have this issue where number one smaller more independent artists aren't acknowledged as much even if they are seeing success and then when they are all of a sudden they're the gold standard and you 
have these scenarios where everybody's compared to Phoebe Bridgers, or as I said already, everybody's compared to Paramore. And so, yes, while you can't really read anything, any review of music without an artist being compared to another artist, regardless of gender, the fact that this happens is so much stronger when it comes to female artists because we do have that pre-programmed misogyny and because of that pre-programmed pitting women against women and it's sort of inescapable no matter what and we just sort of have to wait with bated breath for these people (laughs) in media to stop doing it and I feel like as Jenna already said like The Guardian is one of our favorite places to read anything (laughs) in journalism and I mean like Laura Snapes is probably one of the best music journalists out there and I mean she does a really good job at not only acknowledging that this happens but calling it out and even when other female artists like do things wrong because there was that whole thing with Lana Del Rey and she was just like Lana Del Rey literally did what we tell women not to do all the time which is she pitted herself against other women when she's complained about music journalists doing the same thing to her forever. Also just going off of that we talk about women in rock. Rock is a very vast genre. There's so many subgenres under here like metal and hardcore and then you have pop punk and then you have indie and then you can get into like funk and pop and these other categories and so I think as we go through this discussion we're gonna see how it differs from rock musicians who are on the indie spectrum to rock musicians who are on the metal spectrum who are all dealing with sexism but there's definitely differences between these categories because of the type of audience members that we see but this also becomes very prevalent when we're looking at the Grammys specifically because a lot of times people like we're gonna get into Heim later today are like you're pop because you're not rock enough they're like delegated into these other categories and so what happened with the Grammys in 2018 17 women did win but only one woman brought home an award in a major category so in like the televised main ones that people are like excited about only one woman brought home a Grammy that year and that was the best new artist which went to Alessia Cara so After this happened, Recording Academy president Neil Portnow said, It has to begin with women who have the creativity in their hearts and souls, who want to be musicians, who want to be engineers, producers, and want to be part of the industry on the executive level. They need to step up because I think they would be welcome. And this got a lot of backfire because he's saying that women aren't trying hard enough. Women don't exist in this industry and they just don't try hard enough to be recognized. He's the same (laughs) guy that tells women to smile on the street. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. It's just like the craziest response because there are so many women in music but the Grammys are such an old boys club that they just are like unwilling to recognize it and the thing that is interesting about this ridiculous statement about rock music was number one he did dial it back in that he gave variety a statement in regards to the way that he worded it stating regrettably I used two words step up that when taken out of context do not convey my belief and, and the point I was trying to make. Our industry must recognize that women who dream of careers in music face barriers that men have never faced. We must actively work to eliminate these barriers and encourage women to live their dreams and express their passion and creativity through music. We must welcome, mentor, and empower them. Our community will be richer for it. And I think that it's just rich that this old man is saying this when like mm-hmm. he fully has the power to change things. Yeah. And he's not changing things. And yeah. even taking steps backwards by making statements 
statements like, oh, we would welcome more women if they showed up. And then you have the 2021 Grammys where every person who is nominated for Best Rock Performance, other than Big Thief, which is a band with a woman in it, every other artist 100% identified as female. And so you have this situation where it's like, that's really exciting and really awesome, but also are they pandering? What is going on here? Because I feel like after you get called out to the degree in which the president of the Grammys got called out, it's like there aren't really any other options because even in the best rock song category, you also have four out of five of the nominees are female. And so it's interesting, but then also in the one category where there are more men, which is best rock album, of course, the men win. So you have for best rock album, the winner is obviously the strokes and this category, there's only one woman nominated, which is Grace Potter. And so it's like, okay, why were these other women who were nominated in the other two categories that don't get as much airtime not nominated for best album? Like, what's the deal here? And so again, it's just this thing where it's like, does this really count when the category that gets talked about the most is the one that mainly men are nominated for? Like, what's going on here? Yeah, I think the Grammys in in general mainstream media, I think they're in trouble. For so long, they've gone unaccountable for just how they have, you know, set up things, how much their biases have come through and how much they've been accepted. And I think, you know, one of the good things about where we're heading towards music as far as for distribution, meaning there's more people in the music scene than what we've previously known, where you had to have a a record deal of some sort to get any form of distribution or you make it yourself and spend like hundreds of dollars creating CDs you know, now it's like $20 to upload on Spotify. So I think with a more vast pool means more diversity. And there's just so much more opportunity to be promoting things. And that's why I think the Grammys is in trouble because the way they have been set up for so long where they're actually pulling all the strings, you know, it all comes from the same revenues. Those revenues are being challenged finally. And I think that scares them a little bit because it's going to shift the power out of their hands and really give it to the people where it's where it should be. I mean, the streaming conversation is a really interesting one because when we think about radio, for example, radio is another huge gatekeeper and independent artists still don't have that much power. Like Spotify is not paying them that much, but if you're not signed to a label, if you don't have a press team or a management, you're not being pitched to radio, period. Radio is putting you in front of a lot of people. Radio has a lot of power with who gets nominated for things, how you chart on Billboard, and how you get picked for festivals. There are so many gatekeepers in this equation, and like we talk about festivals all the time of like these festival bills aren't diverse, but festivals aren't the only ones. Grammys aren't the only ones. Radio isn't the only ones. It's like this entire system that was literally just set up by white men to keep everyone else out of the club. And it's so, I mean, this is, this is why we started this podcast, right? I mean, it's just so ridiculous Mm -hmm. when you break it down and looking at like, oh, the Grammys could do better. Oh, these festivals could do better. Radio could do better. There's so many barriers to entry for women, for the queer community, for people of color like it's just ridiculous i think radio is especially a barrier for women in rock because rock music is not played on top 40 hits radio but even our two local rock stations i'm trying to think i don't think i've ever heard a female song they never play anything good really yeah it's so interesting because i remember when i was a teenager there was like a pop punk sort of alternative music radio station and they would never play female artists like ever and it's so interesting especially when 
prior to streaming in the internet when you would get most of your music from the radio or from watching music videos. I think I came across more female artists in watching Stephen's Untitled Rock Show on Fuse than I did on listening to the radio. But even then, there still wasn't a bunch of them. So it was a lot of like going to a MySpace page afterwards and seeing who they were friends with and who they would post about if I even wanted to. But still, even at that time, I was so much like, well, my favorite artists don't like girls, so I don't either. (laughs) (laughs) But then you also run into this issue of on top of all of this, you then have the whole festival lineup problem, which doesn't only affect rock music, but affects all women in music. And so in these scenarios, there aren't really that many specific to rock music festivals. So you can't 100% get stats on this. But I feel like a lot of the time with especially like Glastonbury and a lot of these UK festivals, they are very like rock heavy. And so in 2021, Laura Snapes wrote an article for The Guardian sort of going through how with UK festivals returning, are the lineups still going to lack women? Because there had been a huge conversation about this prior to COVID happening because the festival lineups were so sparse in women that there were those like memes going around where they just erased every man and the festivals being very bare. And so it was crazy because they were saying that the Isle of Wight Festival is offering a 73% male lineup. Scotland's Transmit Festival had all male acts making up 61% of performers. And then Kendall Calling, which only has a partial lineup announced as of when the article was written, featured 79% men. And so you run into these constant issues where (laughs) that's insane. But it's also because it seems very much so like there aren't enough women when like Mm -hmm. we know that that's not true but as I said earlier and we just recently had a conversation about country music and about how like a third of the artists on the radio like for every three songs played by a man you're allowed to play one song by a woman and so it it sort of seems like that's the case in all music where the reason why I can think of like maybe 15 women who are at the height of A-list music celebrity dumb it's just like okay so we're just allowing more men to get six Successful. Why is this happening? And there was one other article that I just wanted to acknowledge where Rianne Daly in 2024 Enemy basically was saying that she interviewed Emma Banks, the co-head of the booking agency CAA's London office. And so she works with acts like Lord and Green Day. And basically what she's saying is that over the last five years, not one of the venues I spoke to, all 5,000 capacity and above in London had a year where there were more than 25% female artists or female-led bands playing as a headliner. Which is just insane because I feel like for all of us, we are aware that there are so many women doing incredible things in music right now in every genre. And the fact that venues that hold 5K or more are not able to book more than a quarter of their shows with women headliners is wild. I mean, my mind just keeps going back to we've had so many women pioneers in all sorts of industries, and yet it keeps getting commandeered, and we keep getting pushed out of the industry or it's done on their terms it's either you do it Mm -hmm. on their terms which is like 10 extra steps than a man would have or you're out it's not fair how the dichotomy has been set up 
The venue thing is interesting because I feel like they're blaming the venues for not selling their tickets. Like I talked to a venue promoter recently and they sell more tickets booking like an 80s cover band than they do some unknown artist in their terms that they want to book and they want to give a chance on, but they need to make money to keep their doors open too. I don't know where I'm going with that, but I feel like it boils down to people aren't willing to take a risk anymore to go see a new artist. Well, yeah, that's the thing is like, I think it's easy to put this responsibility on bookers because that's one of our most visible ways of breaking down these stats. But it's true. Venues don't make a lot of money, period. So they can't take on a lot of risk booking artists who aren't going to sell tickets, but it's not the venue's responsibility. You know, it's like, that's what I was saying, radio and Grammys and there's all these other record labels. There's all these other factors that play into this that really need to be working together. So speaking of, how did we even get here? Since we have you two on the pod we'd love to hear about some females in rock history so i'm gonna throw it over to you guys awesome well i guess i'll start with heart i think they're a very pinnacle their story gives a lot of understanding of how this industry works and just the difference in how the industry treats women versus how they treat men so to give some really quick bullet points of brief history of the band they have two female members who are most prominent and that was the wilson sisters and who was the lead singer and nancy who was a guitarist and when they first started they signed with with a record label called Mushroom Records, which was like a local label, really small. And to promote their first album called Dreamboat Annie, they decided let's do a fun mock-up of a Rolling Stone cover with the band on it. And instead of just like, here's an awesome band you should listen to, like a normal promoter should do, they instead ran the ad insinuating that the sisters were lesbian and sexual lovers. And pretty much like really messed up things <laughs> the things there to the point where yeah they got bigger unfortunately that was a key salacious detail that the press had to know but it made their life a living hell because one reporter broke into Anne's dressing room and asked how is your lover basically saying Nancy, her own sister? So like, that's so not they good. They knew that they were sisters. It yeah. wasn't just like that they pretended they weren't sisters and that they were like lesbian lovers. They were lesbian sister lovers. Yeah, basically, basically. No. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. To this day, like when I heard of Heart, like some older people, that's the first thing I point. Oh, they're lesbians. And then when you actually research, you're like, wait, they're sisters. And it'd be fine if they were like, I wouldn't care, but like that's the first thing that people would tell me from an older generation, like, oh, they're lesbians. And then I'm like, this doesn't, but like they were both lesbians together. Like it just, the whole thing is just a mess. How that has just stood the test of time against them. Like the people just not in the rock scene. Like, you know how you just hear of bands, but you don't really like look anything and then just common knowledge steps in. That's unfortunately the common knowledge that has passed on. So that's one thing that's shitty about Mushroom Records. Second and third thing, when they went to go renegotiate after Dreamboat Annie, they flat out refused to adjust any royalties because they were going to be, quote, a one hit wonder. I have never heard that phrase uttered, like from the research we've done when other bands go to renegotiate, like I've never heard that phrase. Like, oh, we're not going to renegotiate because you're going to be a one hit wonder. Unsurprisingly, Mushroom Records was kind of a one hit wonder. (laughs) Yes, yes. They dissolved in the 80s, which was great. And then the final kicker for them is they released an unfinished album of 
theirs without any permission from the band because of a contractual dispute. So they just went and released it and just did this disclaimer of, we're so disappointed that the band did not want to finish this beautiful album and then put it on them. Like it was their fault and Mushroom Records suck. So, I mean, that whole relationship with that band was so tumultuous. It just seems like so often throughout history, and this has just been repeated up until modern days, is that record labels do not like women. Yes. (laughs) And they especially do not like women who want to do rock music and even more so women who want to do rock music and like know who they are and just try and put out music that they appreciate. And it's just so fucking frustrating and exhausting. And there's just so many women who are trapped in record deals without being able to put out music and Huh. Yep. <laughs> and for them to put them through all that nonsense and also still just be like, sorry, we're not going to put your music out. We don't believe in you. They literally like to the point where Dreamboat Annie was pretty successful and they still were like, nah, you're only going to be a one hit wonder, just like the gall of them. But, you know, some would think, oh, that's just because they're a small label, you know, whatever. But like then when they signed to Capitol, Anne's treatment, the lead singer was horrible. They kept comparing her against her sister in the area of like, oh, you're not skinny enough or things like that. You need to be skinny like your sister. Meanwhile, Anne is on diet pills and pretty much has an eating disorder, like just starving herself to just be in comparison with her her sister and the record label went as far as to shoot the videos all from a different angle of Anne to give the illusion that she's thin. This is just bullshit. Like the comparison back and forth and back and forth that women have to go through that men sure as hell don't have to go through. Yeah. Yeah. And the like, you're not good enough or like you're, you're not feminine enough or you're too feminine. I feel like that plays into that trope a lot too. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's my brief what the fucks of heart. They are an incredible (laughs) band, though. I mean, out of specifically the Mushroom Records thing and that ad, Ann Wilson wrote Barracuda, which is just one of my favorite songs of all time. That was my number one (laughs) song played on Guitar Hero 2. But I mean, the band is just how they've persevered through it has been incredible. In a different vein, we have Debbie Harry, who I don't want to say she hacked the system, but she kind of hacked the system. So when she started the band, it was Angels in the Snake was when she met Chris Stein. And she and Chris Stein started dating. And she kind of, I don't want to say used him, but she brought him to all of their record meetings and any kind of business meeting because she got taken more seriously when her boyfriend was there, which is totally not fair. But because of this, she now thinks that the music industry isn't as hard on women as it used to be and that female artists today are exaggerating on how they're mistreated because she had it fine with Chris Stein by her side. Oh, wow. I feel like Debbie Harry is a really interesting case study because I think that she is an icon and a legend and what Blondie did for women in music and just music in general, I think cannot be ignored. But I think that also she very much was like, while she still was viewed as a woman and definitely had her own hardship, she was in regards to a woman very much welcomed with open arms and sort of allowed to exist however she saw fit fit and was definitely celebrated in a lot of ways and so I think because of that she now 
has this skewed viewpoint of what rock and roll is. And I think you also sort of run into that with like Izzy Hale of Hailstorm, where they both came into a scene that very much was like, no women here. And then were accepted, not 100%, but way more than other women. Yeah. And so they fell into that, like, not so much that they're misogynists, because I would never say that Debbie Harry's not a feminist. It's more so that I feel like she doesn't want to admit that it can possibly be that bad because I think then she has to recalibrate her whole history and like remembrance of how things were because if you the whole time think that things are easy and then are told later on like actually they weren't you're like well fuck I probably could have been doing more. She definitely downplays how bad things were in her retellings. For instance she had no money when they first started the band obviously and she made this really micro dress slinky outfit it's like a zebra print thing that she made out of a pillowcase that she found in the trash and Chris was a photographer so he took like some some sexy photos of her and the record label somehow got their hands on them and they had pre-approved some promo posters of the band it was supposed to be all of them together Debbie was front and center but the rest of the band was there too and they were like yeah those posters are good to go and come to find out they end up running these sexy slinky photos of Debbie without her permission as the band promo photos I mean she's not wearing a bra it was definitely like supposed to be for Chris's eyes only the way these photos were taken but she's still had her fair share of, of shit to deal with but looking back she's like it, it wasn't that hard i i was so totally successful and it was fine hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, this is the thing is it's like once you're accepted into the boys club or once you have fame, you have a level of privilege Mm -hmm. where like people aren't going to treat you as bad because you're now respected. But that doesn't mean that suddenly everything is better for all women in rock or all women in music, whatever it is. Like, you have to realize you have that air of privilege of being part of the boys club and then use that position of privilege to help everyone else step up too. Yes, which is something she's not doing. She just thinks that Taylor Swift's exaggerating. That was an exact quote from her. I think if you truly like in the Debbie Harry case where she was accepted to the boys club, I feel like once you know how people are being oppressed, like you have an obligation to try to make it better for everybody, like not for yourself. I mean, yeah, fight for your stuff as well, but we have to work together if we're going to solve the issue. And I think in especially the music industry, it's just so fast paced and your prevalent one 
minute and not anymore. We need to stop this wheel that we've developed, this really vicious cycle of who's going to get to the top. Is it going to be me? Is it going to be me? And that it's just, we have to work together to make this sustainable. And I think that's mm -hmm. a big issue with the industry is nothing is sustainable. So it's hard to make that progress. And then you have Janis Joplin, who the people of rock refused to view Janis Joplin as a woman because they were just like, yeah. you don't act like a woman. You don't have these feminine qualities. You don't have all this stuff going for you. But at the same time, weren't giving her respect because she was a woman. So it was like the double-edged sword of being a female, but not being a feminine female. So you, number one, are faced with misogyny, but also are faced with the, you don't fit within the gender norms that I see fit for women. So can you guys go a bit more into her history of her issues being faced as a non-conforming woman in music? Sure. I, I think that's fantastic. So I would start a little bit early with Janis Joplin, just kind of going back to, because when you think of Janis, I think of a tough, just awesome person. But, you know, I think it was definitely a persona that one, the press put on her, but also she put on herself to cope with a lot of the bullying that she experienced, a lot of the mocking she experienced because she was different. So in high school, she really got into the beatnik scene, which is, you know, that it's a tougher crowd, like almost West Side story type style but you know she was mocked one for how she looks throughout high school even to the point where like she had acne and the doctors were like oh that's your fault has nothing to do with puberty has nothing to be a 15 year old growing up it's your fault so like not even the adults were on her side and then she like was really passionate about integration in schools during the 50s which no one in that town liked her for that because it had an active kkk chapter that would have occasional parades down the street. So like she was so mocked for just how she looked and what she believed. And that continued into college when she was at University of Texas, this stupid boys fraternity for a charity voted her as ugliest man on campus. So there was just this incredible aggression towards her. And I think what she did to cope with that was put on this tough face, get into some fights and things like that. I think part of it is who she is, but I think a lot of it came into like, I'm going to show you how tough I can actually be instead of actually dealing with those and processing those emotions would be my take on it personally. But yeah, when she got into the industry, joining Big Brother and the Holding Company, people were blown away by her voice. She started gaining all the attention. But you know, they also would be pointing out and singling out different parts of her body as she performed, which is really fucking weird. Like I've never heard anyone talk about a male in that regards, unless he was like, randomly thrusting in a innuendo type way. That's the only time I've heard that in reporting. And then when she went solo, they're like, oh, you're just sellout. And as she got towards into her solo career, you can just see how she was just like, whatever. Sure, I'm the caricature you paint in your mind. And that's when the press really latched onto her story, talking about her bullying, but more from a profit way, not from an awareness hero arc way. And when she did a press release at her high school, I've seen footage of this. It's in the documentary, Little Blue Eyes, about Janis Joplin. And they literally are asking the most hurtful questions to 
purposely get an emotional reaction out of her at this high school that treated her like shit. And you could hear her putting on this really brave face, but this pain in her voice that no one should have to go through in a press interview. So that's kind of like a little bit of Janice. She brought so much to the table. What I love about Janice, she pulled a lot of influences from Big Mama Thornton, you know, and she always was thanking black artists for the music they contributed. And she had this different voice. She was different. And yes, she embraced it, but I think she also let it be the caricature that people painted on her and all the negative connotations that came with it. Yeah, I mean, I think like what you said with Hart and how it's like factoid about them that stands throughout history was they were a lesbian couple. I feel like that's kind of the same thing that happens with Janice of like her gruff personality kind of like precedes Mm -hmm. her talent in a way. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, for the people who knew Janice, like truly knew, they knew how much she loved people. She was this really warm and welcoming person. And I mean, I'm not going to lie, when I was in middle school and I was introduced to Janice, Joplin. It was partly for her voice and she was a different type of voice. And then as I learned more about her, it was her being tough. And I'm like, I want to be tough. Like, I want to be like that. <laughs> but then when you like just really read into her story, yes, it was part of her character, but it just got over exaggerated where she couldn't also be emotional. Like because yeah. you are the tough girl, because you are in that box, I expect you to be the one starting fights and doing ridiculous stunts and cursing all the time and getting entrance into like the salty Splatoon example of the world. It's just, it was so tough. And I think that was a lot of her draw, not to put words in her story, but a lot of her draw towards the drugs and alcohol. It was out of a place of not being allowed to process those things and being tough. And I'll show you how tough I am. Yeah, I mean, I think this goes for anyone and everyone of like, like as a human race, we always want to put people in a box to be able to like understand them and think we know about them. And people are never allowed to be more than one thing yeah because we just can't handle it and so like i think honestly that goes for a lot of people but then when you're a woman for example it's even more so it's even more so there's more boxes people want to put you in and i think that's because i mean we've kind of been taught that through growing up on the internet what type of girl are you like we do these quizzes and all this fun stuff and we're taught to be you i'm not like other girls you are the social butterfly you're the pretty one you're the funny one all this stuff and it's just like do we ever just realize how complex we are as people just in general like you were saying we're allowed to be two different things at once that we don't have to be the tropes that were put on us we can Mm -hmm. truly explore different facets and I think whenever you know an artist can possess that and bring that into their music it's the most powerful thing you'll ever hear most definitely I mean we can get super meta with that (laughs) (laughs) and i think that all of these things sort of played into why as time went on and rock stopped being what was on popular music why it became even harder for women to be respected and be taken seriously when it comes to rock music because they so much want you to fall within a specific category and they want you to fit within certain tropes and check certain boxes in order to fit within rock and so when you have these 
these artists who come into rock music and might change it up a little bit or aren't doing quintessential rock because as Jenna said earlier rock is such an umbrella term there's so much to it and there's so many subgenres, so many subsections to what rock is that then you have these women coming up who love rock music who hear it and are told you're not the right look for this and they'll do it anyway and people will love it but there's still that response like we recently spoke with Fifi Dobson and she knew in her heart and soul like she was supposed to sing pop rock music like she loved rock that's what she needed to do and this record label who's trying to develop her were like no you need to be a pop singer because of your look and your voice and this and she's like well someone else believes in me so I'm gonna go make rock music with them and then you have Taylor Momsen who is killing it in the rock game but she came from a background of acting she was in The Grinch Stole Christmas she was in Gossip Girl she has like a very preconceived notion about her because of the fame she had prior to coming into music and this is a thing and this is what I feel like a lot of people don't understand and it's a lot to do with like the creation of parasocial relationships which again as we say a million times there's nothing wrong with having a parasocial relationship with somebody but you might have the wrong idea of a person based off of characters they play and the way that they dress or act because of the characters that they're playing and so Taylor Momsen in her heart and soul is a rock goddess yeah (laughs) like she was never Jenny from Gossip Girl she was always Taylor Momsen of the Pretty Reckless that was who she was even when she was playing Jenny in Gossip Girl you know and so then you have her leaving acting behind to go follow her dreams of being a rock star and you have her showing up and she's both grungy and sexy and doing so many incredible things with her image and this music and like you have to be stupid to say that the Pretty Reckless aren't one of the best bands in rock right now like you can't listen to them and not say that they are not quintessential rock music fuck yeah this is incredible but she's faced so much sexism and misogyny and you can go back all the way to 2013 there is not a single fucking interview with this woman where she's not asked about being a woman in rock music and it's exhausting because there is so much talent there and yes of course she is asked about other stuff but I mean you go back to 2013 and she's interviewed for this publication called Untitled Magazine and she's interviewed by a woman and one of the first questions asked is like how do you feel about being a female rock star (laughs) and Taylor's automatic response is I feel like this is such a sexist question if you were a man you wouldn't get that question but I wish I was Robert Plant I'm over here as a woman going I wish I was Robert Plant but doesn't everybody wish they were Robert Plant man or woman I don't really like to think of music as dividing it into the sexes it's just Robert Plant man or woman you should want to proper plan the one gender which I think is such a weird choice but like (laughs) you do you Taylor but she has a point here where it's like why does it fucking matter who you are I think women in general we still see it as an anomaly in rock and that Mm -hmm. it's something that's rare to go by so I think that's a question that comes up so much but we don't recognize like it goes back to we're so much more than one dimensional and it's still something like I'm personally trying to learn as a woman, as someone who interviews other artists, that we need to move more complex in our questioning instead of what's like to be a woman in rock. And, mm-hmm. you know, that's just me being transparent where I have asked that question before. It's just we need to move past that. And we need 
to start moving the conversation to just normalizing it and instead of being amazed that a woman in rock made it. You know, I was thinking a lot about this as we were doing this episode and like the whole what we said about women in rock listicles and stuff like that. And it's like, I think the question is important when we need minorities to share their experiences so that other people can Mm -hmm. understand them. But so often the way it's asked is in a way where the interview is like talking down to them almost. Yeah. Or like, oh my God, like looking at them like they're in a zoo or something and not approaching it with, I don't know, like some humanity, some grace. Like I'm not quite sure what the right answer is here, but it is important to share those experiences, but just the way it's being done is like not right. It's like they're trying to get gossip is what it often feels like whenever it's asked in mainstream. But you're absolutely right. It's how you ask the question. It's where you're coming from. Because, you know, we do need to make space for the stories to be told in the sense of who are you as a person? How can you contribute your journey, your experiences into the music you are creating? At the end of the day, it has to be about music. It can't be about you're a woman in rock. It has to be what are you bringing to the table as a musician? What is your story? What's your muses to writing? And we need to just start moving the conversation away from here's the simple interview question of what are you doing as a woman in rock? How are you changing it? It's just... I think also it's like the question is very much like, oh, how have you been mistreated? That's what people want to know. But it's like maybe instead we should be asking men how they've benefited from their privilege. Yes. Like it's not (laughs) only, you know, like this is a two-sided question. It's not just women who can talk about this. And no, we shouldn't ask men, how do you think women are being treated? But in a way, we kind of should. Like in a way where it's like, how have you benefited from your privilege where maybe your other counterparts who are women, who are part of the queer community, who are people of color, where they haven't been able to benefit from your same privilege because the thing is is like we can have this conversation forever this is why this question is so tired is because women are always asked it the answer never changes but the people who need to be part of this conversation are men are Mm -hmm. the ones who have the privilege who can easily ignore these questions because they don't deal with it but they're the ones who need to start recognizing stuff and doing something about it because we can't change things with only half of the population Right. Well, this is the thing is like, so on the Taylor Momsen topic with this and like, because obviously, like when we're talking about more recent artists, it's a lot easier to find interviews and these questions that they're asked. In 2017, she was interviewed by Indie Mag and they go, Taylor, what's it like to be the front woman in a rock band today? Do you think being a female artist in showbiz is any different than being male these days? And it's like, you could ask that question in a much different way and get probably a better answer because her response of this which I think is really telling and says a lot to what both Beth Ann and Jenna have been saying is that Taylor goes the biggest thing is is that I'm being asked a lot about it but in reality we're just playing music we all live on a bus we stay in the same hotel and do the same thing every day for me there's really no difference we are a rock band our goal is to grow rock and roll is so powerful because it doesn't limit you it allows you to be yourself to be who you are as a person and as an artist you can go anywhere it's amazing to have that freedom and it's like that's a really really powerful statement but it's also like there's so many ways to get these answers and find out how the industry works and how these artists are feeling about the industry and about themselves as a human without asking such straight up 
pointed questions being like, so you're a woman. And it's like, okay, you can ask very similar questions in like a less aggressive way where it doesn't make being a woman feel like this weird anomaly. And again, like you're asking the question of like, so how'd you choose R&B music? Like, how'd you decide to like do R&B for like your new solo career, Justin Timberlake? (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, instead, it's basically the same thing. Then you ask this woman, like, so how'd you decide to be a female-fronted rock band? And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, I was born with a vagina. Yeah. (laughs) Box ticked. (laughs) I always ask this question in our interviews, but I always frame it as like, what has your experience been like as a female in these spaces? Because they're always very different we've had every answer on our show from it's great i found this wonderful community of other female rock artists where i live and we're all kind of like banding together to support each other and promote each other stuff to it's been an experience because every time i show up with my band they think that i'm someone's girlfriend and i'm the lead singer so like i i always try to frame it as like an experiential thing not just like what's it like being a woman because they are so different like every answer i've asked that in every interview i've done and it's been completely different every time and i think that when we continue to other women that's when you run into issues like with phoebe bridgers who is in that weird in-between space of being an a-list singer and an indie star you Mm -hmm. know and so you have her making her sort of a-list celeb debut in performing on snl where that's when the world decides whether or not you're going to be paparazzi photograph for the rest of your life or not and you have her breaking her guitar which is a quintessential but not even like (laughs) she didn't break the guitar she just did the rock star thing she planned for that because she just like didn't want to wreck her fucking guitar but you have her doing a quintessential rock movement a quintessential just like rock star thing that one does and the world is just like nah nah you's a lady you can't be doing that and also getting mad because they saw her on twitter asking the guitar company if she did this if she would break the guitar but meanwhile you have like Pete Townsend who would glue his guitars back together after shows as to not waste guitars so that way he could break the same guitar every night so it's like okay it's always pre-planned you're not going into like I mean there have been some cases where rock stars have fully just wrecked stages but in most of the cases there is some sort of pre-planned thing this isn't just like a rock star moment of I don't know just like sheer blacking out and breaking your fucking guitar but there was so much anger especially from just like older men being like why is this girl doing this? And and this is why we have to just stop othering females in music, especially females in rock, because when you read these interviews and you pay attention to these women and you go and you try and do any research on them, it's always like a woman, a woman doing music. (laughs) It's like, how are we supposed to change our viewpoints on it if the language never changes? And then you have these scenarios where this woman is doing something that's just quintessential rock when she makes rock music and they're like what (laughs) why are you doing that (laughs) it's like because it's a rock thing to do the other thing that i think about phoebe bridgers is like taylor momson for example i was talking about how the subgenres of rock are very different taylor momson falls into that heavy side of things where a lot of the demographic is going to be very heavily male so you're dealing with like a completely different audience than somebody like phoebe bridgers who very much came up within the indie folk sphere that audience is going to be a lot different and so when you have her on snl which is a very public platform doing something that is very quintessentially rock suddenly there 
there's a bunch of like rock bros who have no idea who Phoebe Bridgers is because they haven't been paying attention. And then who is this woman and why does she think she can do this? Like, why does she think she's allowed to do this? Because there are so different sides of the spectrum with rock music. It's always the men who are blindsided by these up-and-coming acts, rock or otherwise. They're like, where did this person come from? I've never heard of them, so they can't be good or relevant. Yes. It's the three-song man mindset. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> There was this really interesting article on Guitar World by Marianne Eloise right after the SNL performance. And I mean, she sort of went into that this has been something that's gone through rock forever and why people were mad about it. And a lot of it was like, number one, the pre-planned thing. And also the fact that like they didn't know who she was and they were like, this is not the type of music that this should be happening to. But basically what she's saying is that the initial tweet that sort of kicked everything off was saying, why did this woman? Phoebe Bridgers destroy her guitar on SNL. I mean, I didn't care much for the song either, but that seemed extra. And then this other guy responded saying, hot damn, I'm 71 and not only know who she is, but love her music. Only time I smashed my guitar was when I was so fucked up, I tripped and fell on it, but I'm a guy, so it's okay. And Marianne goes on to write, he's not wrong. Whether you're quick to admit it or not, while some commenters invoke wastefulness as the reason why they're so angry about Bridgers, what they're thinly veiling is the fact that they're just pissed off because she's a woman not only that but she's a young one who's only been around for a few years and so it's like she hasn't gotten her rock and roll stripes yet and therefore is not allowed to smash a guitar and it's like all right like dial it back sweetie But that is a lot of the mindset, especially with old time rock. Like, who are you to, especially as a woman, to come in and like do these awesome rock and roll things? That whole scene is just, you know, there's so much elitism in rock and roll that, you know, I think for our podcast, we're trying to dismantle and just be like, you know, just like what you like. Stop caring about whether or not they're, you know, exactly like what you listen to. It's just, we, we got to move the conversation on from dismantling the elitism that's developed. I saw a great YouTube comment on the punk rock nba youtube video that was like you know rock guys like to complain that rock music isn't mainstream anymore but also they're the most elitist pricks who won't let 50 percent of the population appreciate what they appreciate So continuing on to the indie side of the spectrum, well, what I would consider the indie side, we have Haim. Their debut record was quite kind of indie rock. And so Haim have spoken about how they always wanted to make rock music. Like that's who they are. And the music that they were making wasn't considered rock enough. And people tried to put them into the pop category to the point where like they know they won't even be played on rock radio. So they just stopped trying to appease that audience. And now they just do whatever they want, which is really cool because they're most recent record which came out in 2020 is called women in music part three in which they really did genre bend and do whatever they want with this record which is awesome but they've said specifically that the reason they named it women in music part three was because danielle says in the back of our minds we're hoping that because this is the name of our album it wasn't going to be the first question everyone asks and that's why we put our first song man from the magazine in music form so we would be able to touch on it without having it to be the thing that we talk about constantly and so this song man from the magazine discusses Heim's experiences with sexism ranging from a male journalist inquiring inappropriately about the face that Esty makes when she's playing bass on stage because she has like this really weird like bass face that she does and he was like asking her about whether or not she also makes that face in bed also ranging to a guy working at a music shop who assumes the sisters are beginner musicians so Heim really just stuck it to the man quite literally with this 
record. <laughs> I, love I love that so that. much, though. And also, as they're doing this promotional cycle and as they're saying, like, yeah, we were tired of this question, so we literally just named our record that. Like, I love that they did that. But they are asked, do you think things have changed? And they say no. And in an interview with Grazia Magazine during this album cycle, they're asked, you've opened up about experiences with sexism within the music industry in the past. Do you find that prevalent issue today, even with growing awareness? Which is, like, a really nice way of asking, you know, are you still dealing with these things? And Haim have said, it's never ending. The thing that is amazing now is that there's an open conversation about it. You're not outcast for asking questions and speaking up and saying, this doesn't feel right. Why is this happening? Why are you treating me this way? I feel like a couple years ago, especially when we were coming up, even as 2011, 2012, it doesn't seem like a long time ago, but it feels like a lifetime. And there are so many things that are still happening in this industry and we haven't even cured the problem, but at least I can speak up and feel comfortable and feel like people have my back, which is really amazing. And so this is a point where like they're in their careers where they have been recognized. They played the Grammys, like they were Grammy nominated. They've received a good amount of a success and they're still able to recognize that not a lot has changed. That is cool. Like even in their place of more recognition and privilege, they're like, yep, nothing has changed. So they're doing what Debbie Harry needs to do. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Exactly my point. So I guess my question for y'all, since you guys do speak with a lot of up and coming, mainly female artists in rock music, do we genuinely think that things are starting to change or do we just think that the women who have the loudest voices are being loud in the right way and so because of that they've changed the narrative into people being like well look these women who are successful are talking about it things must be better but they're talking about it because they're not better at least from my perspective so I don't know what your guys viewpoints are on this I think there's small changes being made from the bottom up Nothing has mm -hmm. changed at like the record label and up state of things. But we find these communities in like New York City and LA who have all these female musicians who have basically banded together to say, fuck the man, we're going to do what we want. And we're going to create this like collective to raise each other up and do what we want to do, whether you know, record labels want us to do it or not. And because the internet is the way it is now, they can do it without the support of a big label or any label. You get a good agent who's willing to help you, you can make things happen. But as far as the overarching scheme of things, I mean, the few rock festivals that exist have probably five or six female-fronted bands on the billing. And from an outsider's perspective, things are not changing right now. It Maybe we might see the shakeout in like 20 years, Crazy. which is sad. When Gen Z gets a hold of things, we'll see a change. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I feel like, Leah, what you said, it's so true on a small level, on a local level, small communities are putting in the work to do this. And the systems, the structures as they exist are not putting in the work. And I agree. I agree. When Gen Z overrules the old men, maybe things will change. That's why, like, as much rap as it gets, TikTok is actually doing a pretty okay job at bringing smaller artists to the table. But I mean, like, of course, industry is already getting to it and how they can control the narrative. But when it first started, like, a lot of unknown artists were really getting in. And I mean, it's kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, Spotify, though it does have an issue with paying artists, there's more of a pool to where you can really develop a community. And that's really awesome to see. And that's the direction I want to see 
see it going to. But like also we have a lot of gatekeeping that needs to be torn down, frankly. But I mean, it's either like it sucks as an artist because you got to choose. Do I want to be creative and be who I feel like I have to? Or do I get lucky enough to get chosen to make money and they tell me what to do? That's literally the Mm -hmm. choices I feel like our artists are going through. So for our podcast, just being able to promote these artists who are doing something in this space is just a big deal. And we want to promote them as much as we can. I think that we've hit on so many important points today and that there's so much to unpack when it comes to this idea of like female fronted as a genre and what that means for music and how to dismantle this idea there's so much (laughs) there's so much to think about and I'm just really thankful that you guys came to join us and talked with us about this subject because I think it's really necessary to talk about. I think a lot of people don't think of women when they think of rock music when that should be what you think of a lot of the time because I feel like so many of even the pop acts we have today wouldn't be around without the women in rock that we had prior. So yeah, so thank you guys for coming and hanging out today. Thank you. Um, We really appreciate you giving us your time and your knowledge. Thanks so much for having us. This was so much fun. Yeah, it has been a lot of fun. We will have all of your social links and podcast links in the description below. So if our listeners want to go check out more about She Will Rock You, you can find those in the description. Thanks, you guys. What an insightful combo. They know so much about rock music. I didn't know any of that about Janis Joplin other than people were mean to her. Yeah, no, I'm really glad they could join us because like I said, they are the rock history experts that we wish we could be. (laughs) So it was great to have their insight on this conversation. I know. I just was like, wow. Like when we were prepping for this episode and they were talking about all this stuff about rock history and I was like, I just know about Debbie Harry (laughs) and that's it. So thank you for your knowledge. But also in what you found about time and the stuff you were looking up about like Taylor Momsen and stuff, the fact that they're still asked these ridiculous questions and that they have to go through that and that they're just not even given the access to the festivals or being acknowledged and just rock and roll (laughs) at all. It's like, what the fuck is going on here? It truly is wild. Yeah. Because... It doesn't feel like such a big problem when you're just like, I don't know, to me, because I don't think about it a lot. When I'm just going about my daily life, listening to my favorite female rock musicians, I'm like, cool. But then you look at the, you you look at the facts and it still sucks. Yeah, it is weird when you live in that world where you don't care who's singing the songs that you're listening to. And regardless of gender, you'll listen to music if it's good. And then you just find out that the rest of the world or the internet is just like female fronted. Like, here's a listicle of all the women in rock. And it's like all of them are 10 and they're always (laughs) the same 10. And depending on which site you go to, like three of them are interchangeable. Yep. But I think that in regards to just this discussion as a whole for you our lovely listeners we would love to continue this convo with you and so i want to pass the same question off to you guys that i gave to beth ann and leah of do you think that rock music is changing or do you think that just the women who have found billboard success in rock music are just acknowledging the issues loud enough to convince us that maybe because they're talking about it things are changing because i don't i don't know what i think about that i feel like it's 
half a mirage and half yes the more we talk about it the more it is going to change but i think the mirage is very shiny (laughs) at the moment yeah yeah and so if you want to continue that convo and answer my question you can do so over on social media you can find us on twitter on instagram on whatever else at name three songs or you can talk to us personally i'm at sarah underscore fagan and jenna is at jenna underscore million so thanks for joining us this week on name three songs until next time never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band and remember you're never too cool to listen to the pretty reckless don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review they really help if you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode you can visit namethroughsongs.com everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35 magnesium will help you rediscover balance energy and vitality magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body including those involved in hormonal balance from functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health but which one magnesium breakthrough from bioptimizers the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.